Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Backray, UK rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Giles Gale and Gemma Bruzine. All right, everyone, happy new year and welcome back. Uh, in true 2022 fashion, I should say, we've started 2023 with some quite big market moves. Uh, and I guess that's the way that we ended the year. It's been a couple of weeks since we caught up. So Jan, let's start with you. And perhaps you can just um, let us know of any of your kind of key themes and thoughts that we were talking about into the end of 22, if any of those things have changed or if you're still on, on the same kind of trades and views. Yeah, uh- well, one of our key themes going into 2023 was that we were, we are going to get uh, this uh, bull steepener in the curve that you usually see with recessions and monetary policy turning around. But uh, we warn investors to not be sort of premature about that and not really look for that steepening to materialize until uh, like spring uh, this year rather than early on in the year, because we still you know anticipate the Fed rhetoric not peaking and it's sort of kind of what we'll be getting now from from uh, commentary uh, from public officials too. So uh, while we do maintain uh, as a medium term view that the curve will steepen and you know like the front end will reprice uh, future cuts by the Fed called like 2024 even more than what what it has now. Uh, tactically, we suggested uh, that it makes sense to be kind of like short ten year yields at three and a half percent and because they, they did fall substantially but not really too much to uh to back that drop we do expect yields to go lower again this year uh but not in a very fast and disorderly fashion because uh you know there's still a lot of work to be done on monetary policy side and we still think that the fed will uh push back against these um early loosening in financial conditions as that has been sort of their kind of like their you know like the main tool uh, for trying to bring aggregate demand and inflation uh, lower. So it feels like we've got off to a pretty quick start in the US. We've had um, what feels like a jam-packed week of data, and we also had the Fed minutes um, on Wednesday from their kind of pre-Christmas meeting. Now, listeners might recall that we had a slightly more hawkish take on the meeting than certainly than the market seemed to to react to, we thought. Um, So what was your take on A, the minutes this week, and and B, anything else that we've kind of learned from the data as well? Yeah, so one thing... uh, at the December meeting that surprised us was that the forecasts submitted by the Fed officials showed a very uh, kind of concentrated expectation for the rate path in 2023. Uh, the median forecast was 5.125%, but there really wasn't that all that much dispersion uh, in, you know, the, the, like the outliers. Uh, the range stretched from 4.8 to basically 5.6%, everyone else was in between. Uh, so what does that mean for minutes? Well, uh, when you give forecasts that are all clustered like that, it is hard to present a document that suddenly shows all these diverging views. And that's exactly what we got. We didn't really uh, get anything uh, to kind of like out there that would suggest that there's a, you know, there's disagreement brewing within the, uh, within the FOMC. We didn't really get any guidance for the February meeting, whether it should be 25 or 50 basis points. Uh, of course, we think that will be dependent on the upcoming jobs and, and inflation data so far we have penciled in 25 basis points but it really feels like a, a close call between the between whether to step down again or maintain a 50 basis point hike base and uh i guess i should point out that the minutes also said officials no officials expected rate cuts in 2023 that caught some headlines but 
you look at the forecast, that, that's fairly obvious that no one really expected cuts in 2023. Whether that can change, uh, it could. It's not our base case that we're going to see cuts, but just like no one expected rates to go about 5% a year ago, uh, things are pretty fluid and, and dynamic. And uh, one interesting thing that we noticed was that that's the board staff projections for inflation were lower than what the uh, what Fed officials had submitted with their uh, with their forecasts in December. So uh, there's a little bit of divergence there that I think is uh, worth tracking and see how you know like whether the forecasts were influenced by like near term I don't know like kind of desire to keep uh, like conditions tight or uh, because we have seen well hopefully we have seen inflation peaking in the U.S. and now trending. Uh, towards kind of like lower levels. Okay, so looking forward then, we've not just had a busy week this week. Can you tell I'm jealous because we've not really had much going on in the UK yet. <laughs> um, we've not had just had a busy week this week for data, but um, we obviously have a busy couple of days or, or week ahead really. We get NFPs, um, which may well be out by the time uh, people listen to this. So I won't pinpoint you to a number there, but we have NFPs and then obviously inflation data next week. You mentioned that that's going to be pretty key in defining whether it's 25 or 50 um, for the Fed in February. Um, how are you kind of set up going into these data prints? What's the market thinking about this and, and how pivotal are both of these prints? All right, let me start with the with the jobs number because it's, uh, it's uh, tomorrow. Uh, we, today, just before we started recording, we got the ADP employment figures, which were uh, again <laughs> above ex- above consensus. What uh, you know about the economist forecasts at two hundred thirty thousand, two hundred thirty-five thousand versus the Bloomberg headline of one hundred and fifty k going into it, and the previous month was revised higher by another sixty thousand jobs. Uh, ADP did change their methodology, uh, so now the tracking error has fallen a little bit compared to the non-farm payrolls. Uh, but it certainly implies that we could see a higher than uh, consensus uh, you know, number for the, for the uh, payrolls as well. Uh, our forecast is just below that. We have 175K uh, for new jobs added for December compared to 200,000 that I can see on, on Bloomberg right now. Uh, that's a step down from the prior month, uh, but it still implies that the market, uh, the labor market in the U.S. remains uh, fairly robust. You, know, you combine that with all of the like the jobless claims data, which again for the week show that they they fell. You know, you you're really not seeing this deterioration in the labor market quite yet in the U.S. Of course, there's a lot of I should like statistical measures that are used to uh, kind of like uh, c- control for seasonality uh, and in these releases, and they have been a little bit. Uh, they could have been exaggerating numbers in either direction since the pandemic. But by any means, if you look at uh, wage increases and all sorts of wage trackers from uh, employment surveys to the Atlanta Fed, you, you can see that uh, wage pressures are still still there. Uh, so we are looking for 175. Uh, it's slightly below consensus, but you can pretty much read it as in line with consensus. And uh, I think the Fed might need to see a little bit uh, weakness, a little bit more weakness in the, in the jobs to kind of take that as a sign that the Markets weakening and uh, and moving on to inflation. We actually uh, again revised our uh, forecast lower for the next uh, two months. Of, well, for December, January, and February, uh, mainly on on account of two things. Uh, we are looking for lower used car, new car prices, and we kind of gauge that from transactional data and wholesaler prices. 
And additionally, we are, uh, now we had a congressional legislation, uh, the, the most recent congressional legis legislation on the budget uh, kind of uh, put a number on the Medicare reimbursements to physicians, which showed a drop of 2%. So that's going to feed someone into CPI and fully into PCE. Uh, but uh, once we incorporate that, uh, for you know, we have a lower medical uh, medical component for inflation for the next three months because it kind of resets in January. Uh, and what does that mean? So we are at negative uh, 0.16% in uh, for headline, and we're at 0.2% in core. Uh, so that's about 10 to 15 basis points below what the market has when you look at kind of the unrounded numbers. So uh, I think if we get those numbers. If we get our forecast, I think markets could be a little bit more confident that the Fed could step down to 25 base points. Okay, great. Thanks, John. Uh, you definitely sound like the Christmas lurgy has finally got to you. So I will let you go and rest up before next week. Uh, and Giles, we'll move over to talk about Europe. Um, there's been a lot going on there this week as well. I guess the major focus has been around the inflation print. Um, started the week with Germany coming in lower than expected and, and other countries have followed suit such that it looks like tomorrow, we're recording this on Thursday, so tomorrow's print that we will have by the time this goes out for the euro area as a whole uh, will be much lower than expected. It really seems like the market wants to buy into this kind of peak inflation story as, as a big buy-in rates. Do, do you agree with that on the European side? Listen, I think it has been a little bit of a surprise, um, although I think it can easily be overstated because you know, I don't think that there were, were very many people who didn't think that inflation coming down was going to be one of the big stories of this year. The real question is always going to be how quickly inflation was going to come down. And you know, just because we have uh, in a reasonable sizable, reasonably sizable undershoot compared to expectations doesn't necessarily tell you that the trajectory of the course of the year is really going to be very different to what people thought. And I don't, I don't think that that will be the central bank assumption either. So you know, at the moment, I don't think this is something that you should be reading too much into. But, you know, I think it does mean, um, no, I mean, hopefully, you know, it means that there's, I guess, a lower peak there in, in policy rates than the market had in mind is a possibility. Uh, that has always sort of been our base case. Um, you know, the market, actually, when I came back on uh, at the beginning of this week, was looking for something like 34 3.45% um, peak rate for the ECB. Uh, we're at 3%, of course, um, which we think we'll get to in the next three meetings. But, you know, that, that already seemed pretty punchy. So I, th I think a little bit of give back there is something that we are looking forward to, you know, that we think you go with. But the lower inflation story, to the extent that it's a story, has also sort of mixed in with slightly better activity indications, you know, in particular the, the PMIs this week. Um, but you know, overall, the sense from the activity data has been has been better. And so, you know, that and that's kind of linked to what we see in this uh, sort of quite good moment persisting for, for, for credit, for example. Now, it seems like we are looking at more of a sort of soft landing narrative taking hold here. And I don't think that that is very 
bullish for rates overall. Um, you know, may, I think you can talk about being a little bit bullish in the front end, but above all, I think that this should be a bit of a curve steepener. Okay, let's get on to what, what you talked about as being the other kind of major market focus this week, because I think that that probably plays into the uh, longer end view of that curve steepener and where we'll see the, the steepening being driven from as well. Um, and that's obviously supply. Um, it's kicked off in, in a big way already this week, as we usually expect it to um, in the euro area. Is, is the market kind of set up to digest all of this supply that's a come and, and going to come over the next couple of weeks? Well, I mean, so far it seems to have been. Um, you know, obviously, the inflation data has helped. Um, and I think that there probably was a little bit of positioning that had been built up in the late part of last year, really after the central bank meetings, um, and you know, actually, really, you know, possibly since the uh, the ECB stopped its asset purchases, which some people, including us, had signalled could have been um, a, a bit of a trigger to to go short the market. And so, yeah, and I think that there's also been probably carried over from last year a decent amount of pent up demand for credit. And of course, the credit market has really opened very, very strongly this um, in terms of the total supply, but also the demand to, to meet that um, so far just this week. Listen, I think. Now, if you think back to last year, when we actually started the year very strongly as well in fixed income, there was a lot of pent up demand that was carried over from, from 2021. Um, and it really didn't clear until the end of the month. It was only in that sort of window between <laughs> the start of February and the start of the war that we had quite a big, um, uh, quite, quite a big sell off. And so, you know, Eventually, I think the, the indigestion caught up with the market. This year, I think you're, you know, at least my expectations, you're going to see that a little bit sooner. Okay. Um, you know, again, just a comparison with last year. Um, you know, we, we're going to have something like 80 or 90 billion extra net EGB supply just in January compared to last year, all right? So, you know, even if you think that you're left with a little bit of a positioning sort of difficulty, which you know, maybe is part of what we're seeing this week, I think that ought to be washed out relatively quickly. And you know, I think that, uh, you know, as, as I have done all along, I still think that you're looking at supply as, uh, as, as a key bearish driver for the next several weeks. I guess one of or part of one of the other impacts of supply has been what the activity that we've seen in um, swap spreads over the last couple of days, both in Europe and the UK, we've seen swap spreads tightening or bonds underperforming swaps quite strongly. Um, that's one trade that that we both like, I think, in Europe and the UK. We've been talking about that probably uh, not off, probably quite consensus at this point. I think we didn't get a huge amount of pushback. Um, to that view when we were kind of talking to clients about that last year. Do you think that this continues or has it gone far enough for now? Well, yeah, I do think it continues. I mean, sometimes sometimes consensus trades are, are the right trade, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, think this is, I think this is one of them. You know, structurally, I definitely do think that this is a go with trade um, for, for the year. I mean, that's We've spoken about it before, but I think it's about less collateral scarcity. I think it's about lower volatility and therefore uh, the volatility that was driving a certain kind of 
higher level of um, of collateral requirement in in, in the market um, for for things like um, uh, margin posting and, and and so on. And I think that that is also falling back. Um, I think the better credit sentiment is also naturally plays towards a uh, an asset swap tightening regime and i and i think that having consolidated higher rates i think that that we're going to see less bank alm paying as well so you know i think all of that pushes in in the same direction that said it's been sort of turbocharged by uh, a few days of very very heavy uh, financial supply in particular. And if you look at some of the relative value charts, you know, the kinds of curve indicators, things like fives, tens, thirties, for example, um, that have been quite strongly correlated with, um, with, with asset swaps because you know, the underperformance of the 10 year has been you know, one thing that's been dri- also driven by this ALM paying from, uh, from, from banks. You know, that now looks quite out of line. And so it doesn't, look like necessarily the best risk reward expression for, for some of those themes. Nonetheless, um, you know, I think it's something which um, we, we, which we go with, as I've said, um, you know, and maybe not for an in-depth discussion right now. I, and I, I also think that there's a little bit of a, um, an argument, in fact, you know, uh, there's, a, there's quite a strong case I mean, with, with, with quite a few sort of moving parts that argue that maybe asset swaps ought to be sort of more of a widener in a lower rate environment. So if we, you know, if we correct back and you know, perhaps if the curve steepens as well, um, I think that that could be part and parcel of you know, uh, a bunch of things which could uh, be a risk to the asset swap what a tightening trade but you know, broadly speaking that's not our that's not our view. but anyway uh, I think we can come back to that on another day because you know, we've already gotten to the weeds a little bit too much there so I'm going to turn it back to you um, Imogen to, to talk about the UK um, you know you've already said it's ha- it hasn't been the the most uh, <laughs> alive market um this uh this <laughs> week but no that's that it's going to spring to life um now, any changes in your view since we last spoke <laughs> well to be honest as as you say it's been uh, kind of from a uk specific angle a slower start to the year we haven't really had a huge amount of data we've not had a lot of supply we haven't had any central bank speakers. So um, it feels like all the actions being happening elsewhere this week a little bit. Um, but I guess in terms of, you know, what have we learned since we last spoke, there's nothing that's really changed our key views that much. The data that we have had this week, I guess the highlights has been the PMIs, which largely, you know, like you were saying in on the European side, Giles, kind of uh, are indicative of this idea that, we will have a shallow recession in the UK, um, but actually by the end of, of this year, now, 2023, we might see the worst of, of that recession behind us. Uh, and this could be more of a soft landing and a, a less sharp slowdown than, than we might be used to. Um, we're seeing falling, I guess, energy prices like we are elsewhere. 
um, but the BRC inflation data and the uh, Bank of England's um, decision maker panel survey both show still quite elevated um, inflation expectations. And so, well, certainly for the decision maker panel on the wage inflation side. So, um, you know, there's still tightening to be done by the Bank of England. But again, like you said, on the European side, perhaps not as much as the market is pricing in. The market's moved a long way towards our view. So we have already had quite a bit of a dovish repricing. So I don't think it's kind of particularly shocking for us to, to still be, uh, you know, to, to think that there's only a little bit further to go. But we now have a peak of four and a quarter or rather still have a peak of four and a quarter. But after the December meeting, think that they get there by doing another 50 bits in February and then 25 basis points in March. So the major difference still between us and the market is that we think that the peak is lower, but earlier than the market is pricing in. Um, we've always thought that 2023 is going to be about the kind of supply side of things in the UK and, and this, you know, funding the fiscal deficit. That hasn't changed, um, although it's got off to a bit of a slow start. Um, again, like in Europe, our key views there have been to be bearish rates, but also be um, short asset swaps, so short bonds versus swaps. Um, and again, we have seen that move relatively quickly over the last couple of days, I think, so not as much as we're seeing in Europe, but some financial and, and corporate issuance there is, is helping that. And then just, I guess, the only other thing that we've learned on that side of things since we last caught up is the Bank of England's um, schedule for uh, quantitative tightening over this quarter, which will include long dated bonds. So it's a bit of a question mark around whether their kind of regular QT um, would include long dated bonds or not this quarter, given that they do still have some to sell. Um, within their temporary holdings. But all in, we haven't really had all that much new news, I would say, over the last couple of weeks. So it really leaves us with, with the same kind of themes heading into 2023. Uh, bearish rates, steeper curves, uh, short swap spreads, uh, short gilts on the cross market. Um, I'm probably missing something, but I think that's the key ones. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Um, I mean, it has been a little bit of a slow start um, compared to US and, uh, and and Europe, particularly on the supply side. Um, you know that that is going to come, of course. Um, you know, maybe you, you could just give us a quick word on when you think that that uh, will start. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll talk about this in more detail in in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, I think the main supply event that we should look towards now is the syndication in two weeks' time. So that will be a new 30-year bond. Um, that will be when supply starts to feel its heaviest, I suppose, to begin with this year. So we haven't had any QT this week, no um, kind of regular QT or the temporary elongated um, gilts and linker sales that, that were really feeling quite heavy at, at the end of last year. You know, the last week of last year, I think the Bank of England was selling back sort of between two and, and three billion to the market in each auction that were coming three times a week. So that was what was really adding to the duration that, that the market was absorbing um, in the last couple of weeks of last year. So once that kicks off again next week, and then we have the syndication the week after, that's when supply will start to 
feel heavy but I think it's important to remember that that relative heaviness I suppose is actually what's going to feel normal for the rest of the year so although it will be heavy compared to the the last few weeks that we've seen and heavy compared to what felt normal in 2022 kind of excluding October and November I suppose actually that that heavy schedule is is what the rest of this year is going to feel like so um, I think the syndication will focus everyone's minds on that that supply schedule um, but it should remain in focus for for the rest of the year and and how heavy the weeks felt with the Bank of England coming every single day uh, and the DMO coming a couple of times a week in in November um, is really how it's how it's going to feel through all of 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 2023 I think and and certainly the next couple of weeks whilst the Bank of England still has those temporary holdings left to sell obviously they only have a small amount left now I think they have about uh six billion nominal left to go most of which is is conventional gilts not linkers so they sold a huge amount last year and I think that they will be relatively um, happy with with how well that's been absorbed um, but but that's kind of very small in the context of what the DMO also has to issue this year whilst the bankers are still doing um, their regular QT auctions as well. So still the same focuses for 2023 I think but let's see it'll all kick off a bit more for the UK next week um, so hopefully have some more interesting things to say there <laughs> uh, but we'll catch up again then I'll let you both go uh, just a reminder to our listeners uh, that if they like today's episode please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available thanks everyone see you next week <laughs>